Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that the only people who could get a flight out of the United States after 9-11 were the Bin Laden family? Hello and welcome to Michael and Us, a depressing, nostalgic voyage through the cinematic odyssey of Michael Moore. I'm Will Sloan, with me. Luke Savage, hey guys. Uh, so we're just a few days away from, as we're recording this, from the biggest day of the year, the day Ghostbusters comes out. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, as a men's rights activist, I know you're taking this very hard. <laughs> like, the, the, the battle has been lost. <laughs> the battle, but not the war, I hope. I actually find it um, amazing that Ghostbusters will actually come out because I, we've been living with it for so long. I mean, first of all, it feels like, feels like it came out a year ago. By the way, everyone, this is our new Ghostbusters podcast. Sorry, we watched uh, Fahrenheit 9-11. We're, we're going to get into it. It's just, uh, you know, we like to, uh, since the primaries are now over and there's not anything kind of to anchor things to the issues of the day, we like to have a little chatter at the beginning. And also, like this movie, Fahrenheit 9-11, which is an anti-Michael Moore documentary, eh, you know, not a major work. So <laughs> let's, uh, let, let's tackle, yeah, talk a little bit about the important issues of the moment. Like Ghostbusters and Pokemon Go. Which was something I had I'd never heard of the last time we recorded this podcast. By the time this now it's everywhere. Yeah, by the time it comes out on Friday, maybe it'll be dead. <laughs> don't count your chickens. Um, so are you are you gonna see Ghostbusters? I mean, I don't think so. But uh, okay, <laughs> that's not very woke of you. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna see it um, because I don't see a lot of movies that come out in theaters. Sure. Beca- also, because I I mean. The, Why don't you want to support movies with strong the go- leads? <laughs> Have mercy. The, the Ghostbusters movie when I was a kid was like third tier thing I liked when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I would say it was the so same So a relaunch of it, regardless of the gender of the cast, does not particularly interest me. Are you going to see it, Will? Yeah, probably. Right. Um, I feel. But I feel you're, like you're more. A, you're more of a connoisseur of like current cultural trends, I, even though even though you're often as contemptuous of them as I am. You you have um you know much you you have a much keener eye for kind of like the uh, the cultural zeitgeist, where well, my instinct is often just to be a, an ascetic. I I am interested. I've been hearing so much about this Ghostbusters movie for you know seemingly all my life at this point. <laughs> That's how long it seems to have been on the horizon mm-hmm. that I. I don't fully believe it's a real movie. Yeah, I just think it, it's just been created to for think pieces. Yeah. Uh, and and for something for people to get angry about. Mm. Um, so I'd like proof that it's real. <laughs> uh, I was saying before um, when uh, when we were walking on the street that I feel like the whole kind of buzz around this movie has united kind of the worst tendencies, uh, cultural tendencies right now, of both kind of liberals and conservatives. Because I mean. So obviously, I mean, we really shouldn't need to say it, and we probably don't, but we're going to say it anyway, since Will made that MRA joke. Um, (laughs) You know, obviously anybody who is, you know, angry about an all-woman cast in a Ghostbusters movie, I mean, what the fuck are they talking about? And I mean, there has been, like, kind of a weird online campaign against this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I watched the trailer for the first time. Will showed it to me the other day. And on YouTube, like, the trailer has, like, millions of, of down likes, you know, right. dislikes. Like, that's 
insane to me. Did you like the Fallout Boy theme song though? That was pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's the only good thing about it, obviously. What I love Fantastic. is that they they added this subject. So so it's like kind of a cool like 21st century Ghostbusters theme <laughs> song, but they've added this chorus that's like I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. So it's like this. That's a it's message. Like, it's like this anthem. It's a like, message I needed to hear certainly. Yeah. Um. And so, it, but it has the worst tendencies of liberals too. Explain yeah, yourself. Yeah, well, yeah. So I just think it's this kind of whole like Leviathan industry of think pieces and hot takes that fuels a lot of the sort of liberalish content industry and culture industry online. You're saying that Ghostbusters is a symbolic thing, and it's a, it's distracting us from the real issues like equality <laughs> and, and justice. I think that I think that. Um, we obsess a lot and that, you know this is obviously a big issue and we will have to get to michael moore at some point nah, but uh <laughs> I'll put, we can push it off <laughs> but, but um i think we have a tendency to you know look at symbolic issues particularly like in mass culture as like proxies for real issues as if like having you know an all-female cast of a remake of a movie that was sort of just like an amusing trifle to begin with as if that like ultimately matters for everything you don't think the issue of representation is important i mean it's obviously the case that you know if you watch the majority of films ever made you know overwhelmingly feature men in like prominent roles i mean you know there's the famous bechdel test that everybody knows well i think um the best thing that's kind of emblematic of what I'm saying is the BuzzFeed article that was published a few days ago that apparently was not sponsored content that was like, here's like 15 ways you can support the new Ghostbusters movie. So here's this like multi-million dollar franchise, one of the biggest film franchises, you know, are going. And this piece earnestly presented like things like buying the crappy merch that they're going to sell you in the theater, you know posting about it online as if uh-huh. um, as if this was political one, activism. One of their steps towards supporting Ghostbusters was uh, to, it actually said, give in to capitalism. Yeah. In a way that was not really a joke. No, and I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. it is a joke, but it's not a joke. I mean, the, the fact is that, like, th- so this is, you know, this is basically an argument that participation in lowbrow mass culture mm-hmm. is the same thing. Like, it somehow has some yeah. sort of affirmative political quality and i just think the line needs to stop somewhere like i'm just gonna put it out there that you know like issues like pay equity and stuff are are probably more important than this and i mean i guess a lot of people would say you know well they're not mutually exclusive and of course they're not but you know i do feel like our culture industry um fixates so much on uh on these things and, and that's for like blatantly commercial purposes the, well the, yeah i agree with part of what you say but i for one like the idea of uh going to see a movie that i would have seen otherwise but having having it also be activism so i don't have to work very hard i like <laughs> i like um i like making a difference without any sacrifice right so that's great and also you're forgetting that the uh the sweatshops where they make that merch uh in thailand are very diverse they, they employ a lot of people of color they, very, a lot of women yeah. work there and i think that's <laughs> oh just kick ass hiring policy go oh, go oh sony God. go sony well it's like um <laughs> i don't remember when it was that you know starbucks started selling like you know like you could buy like fair trade coffee and it's kind of like organic now it's just like you don't really know what it means but it kind of sounds good mm-hmm. and it's on your product and so it, it's the total convergence of like civic activism and consumption oh. and and i feel like because of the internet because of social media and stuff this is now how we're doing a lot, you know, a lot of 
you know, a lot of this stuff. And it's like, I, I'm sure, like, the movie's... But anyway, before this descends into too much of a fucking mm. Chapo Trap House ripoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, guys. Uh, I think we should we should get to the to the main event, which is that uh, <laughs> after God innumerable weeks of watching Michael Moore's films from Roger and Me to Fahrenheit 9/11, we're getting a little bit off the beaten path today. We're watching we're we're doing a few weeks of the wave of anti Michael Moore documentaries that were spawned in the immediate wake of Fahrenheit 9-11. We've got a great lineup for you. Uh, Michael Moore Hates America coming up next week. Uh, soon after that, we're going to do Manufacturing Dissent, the liberal um, attack on Michael Moore. Um, but this week, uh, we're talking about a movie that I used to see at Roger's Video all the time uh, and Blockbuster. It was just mass, mass produced. It came out actually on DVD the same day that Fahrenheit 9-11 did. Interesting. So they really rushed it. Mm. Um, and it's a and it shows. It's a movie called Fahrenheit 9-11. Um, and I didn't think it was very good. No. Uh, I would say that it's the worst movie we've watched so far. Yeah. and it, it was, by, a, by, a, by a country mile. <laughs> it was... I had a lot of fun with it, though, I have yeah. to say. I mean, it's 80 minutes, and it, it feels a lot longer than that. Um, uh-huh. And it's such a funny combination of, like trying to pick Michael Moore's film apart piece by piece, like down to these individual scenes, but then but then also just this kind of generic, like they're just these generic flourishes of like really base right-wing jingoism throughout it. It's not a documentary, it's a lie. Michael Moore can say anything he wants to say. That doesn't mean we can't rebut it. You know, the First Amendment applies to us, too. The suggestion that there is not a terrorist threat is a delusion. You're being very deliberately misled by a propagandist using his invented facts. What could be worse? Here is a man who says that the United States has spread misery throughout the world. Come on. Michael Moore, if I may say so, is a dog. You should take uh, a very skeptical look at everything that comes out of his mouth. This is a movie based on lies. The terrorist threat is real. It's every day it's real. I said 3,000 people were murdered. How can you say this? Someone has to explain that nobody took it seriously before George Bush on 9-11. Iraq was a war for oil. That's just propaganda that's put out. The thing is, they don't have time in 80 minutes to actually make fun of, like, or, well, they don't have time to deconstruct every part of Michael Moore's movie. So a lot of things they choose are, like, not even the big things. Like, so they go after him for use of, uh... You know, that footage of John Ashcroft singing Let the Eagles Soar. Sure. Or, or they make a big to-do about, um, in Fahrenheit 9-11, there's 30 seconds of footage of uh, George Bush at the Al Smith dinner where he's making a joke. Uh, well, it's an impressive crowd, the haves and the have-mores. Some people <laughs> call you the elites, I call you my base. Right. And that, of course, was kind of a famous moment in the movie. But uh, a lot more time is taken up in this one pointing out how, well, actually, the Al Smith dinner is an event where the candidates can poke fun at Al themselves. Al Gore was there. Yeah, which, yeah. you know, I don't think really uh, invalidates the way Moore used they, it. They misrepresent the way Moore represents it. Mm-hmm. It's clearly, even in the context of a ridiculous Michael Moore film, like a facetious kind of... yeah. You know, like it's 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 ridiculous. Uh, and but aside from being just a thorough demolition of <laughs> Michael Moore and the left in general, um, 
it's also kind of a, an interesting yearbook of uh, 2004, <laughs> the right wing. You got uh, like the whole ga- such a cast. The whole of gang is here. Oh Ann Coulter is in this movie, and I tell you, every time Ann Coulter showed up. I like perked up. I was oh, like, "What's she gonna say it was now?" Amazing. There was one part where she said, "Well, you know, if if Bush uh, wanted to evade Iraq for the gas for the oil, why are gas prices so high?" <laughs> Whoa! Uh, yeah, yeah. Mike <laughs> dropped. So she's there to kind of like throw out these little little bits of. Um, uh, she's a trickster spirit of this film. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the movie, uh, most of the interview subjects are kind of like right wing intellectuals. We get. Uh, David Frum, the people's favorite. Uh, he's, he's great. He was, the, he was um, you know, so a, a fellow former editor of the Varsity, David <laughs> Frum. Um, a, uh, I mean, a guy who, when I was growing up, was sort of like, he was the thinking person's conservative. You know, he was the person that, um, you, know, he'd, you know, he'd appear in like the Globe and Mail sometimes. He was like, uh, you know, he was the conservative that liberals love to fetishize is kind of reasonable. And it's great because in this film, you just get to... Uh, see him coming out with. Uh, I mean, he's just a, such an idiot. He's I mean. just such a parochial <laughs> moron. He's just like you know the terrorists. They hate our values. They will stop at nothing. There, there's one scene near the end where he says, uh, "Among the among the many things that George W. Bush does well as a president, um, he." really feels the grief of America. He, he feels the grief of the nation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, so, I mean, he's kind of one of the more high-profile ones. Um, the, 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 the biggest person in the movie, the most important person in the movie, is Dick Morris, who was a campaign manager for Bill Clinton in 96, uh, I guess turned 9-11 Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a credited writer on this film. He occupies a lot of the interview segments, and... Uh, I assume that Dick Morris, his involvement in this film is how we got interview subjects like uh, Ed Koch, right. former mayor of New York. Who's also just seems like such an idiot. Ugh. He is a good president. He's enunciated uh, the um, a rule of law, which I think rivals the Monroe Doctrine and the Truman Doctrine. The George Bush Doctrine is we will go after the terrorists and the countries that harbor them. We're at war. Um, And these people want to kill us. That's not my statement. That's Lee Hamilton, uh, who is the deputy chairman of the 9-11 Commission. He said, these people want to kill us. Just a real real dummy. And, uh, but actually, I think my, I know I've said this for a few people, but my favorite interview subject is the narrator of the film, Ron Silver. Oh man. so an actor that many of you would know from The West Wing, where he plays Bruno Gianelli, the kind of slimy but ultimately principled uh, <laughs> Democratic Party strategist who ends up working for the uh, Republican candidate in the seventh season or whatever. And it turns out that he's uh, that he's just playing that. That's just a character. Unlike, unlike um, you know, people like Rob Lowe on The West Wing, where they have the same garbage, like sanctimonious liberal <laughs> values in real life. Uh, this guy's a, a bleeding heart conservative. It's so amazing. So we see. Uh, so Ron Silver narrates the movie badly. I would add, like he he sounds. He's not a very forceful narrator. But we also see him interviewed, and I love the way he's interviewed. Most of the people in the movie are just like at a desk or, or not. Something. Not Ron. He's, Ron, we see in several different he's, venues. He's out and about because he's a busy man, and he's like <laughs> he's chilling in the in his convertible. Yeah, we see him in his convertible driving down the street. We see him in the park. Just kind of giving this impression that oh 
we just uh, we just kind of happened along Ron Silver, and he's just kind of caught up with Ron Silver. And you park. know, he's shooting the shit with you, like like he's not even really thinking about this stuff. Like this this insight's just flowing out. And he has this amazing way of talking that's kind of like it's this great. It's like pseudo intellectual. Like it's it's kind of like fake cerebral, but then he's he's also like has this air of like yeah, I don't care about anything because I'm just like a. Yeah, just like a cool bro, and and he'll say things like, um, "Hey, listen, yeah, you see, uh, you see Paul Wolfowitz in the movie uh, putting spit in his hair. Yeah, you know, you show a bunch of footage, I could turn anything with Michael Moore. I could, I give you enough footage, I can make a movie where he looks like an anorexic uh, fascist." <laughs> yeah, Michael Moore, I think. And I, yeah, I keep saying Michael Moore. It's not just Michael Moore. It's that wing of the party right now, Kucinich, the Sharptons, the, the Howard Deans. Uh, I think when history looks back on this period, they're in the danger of being seen as Charles Lindbergh and the isolationists and the American firsters, who in 1937 and 1938 said, it doesn't make any sense to go to war. Germany has a legitimate grievance from World War One. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. We should. And eight years later, in 1945, they wished to God they had gone to war and stopped Germany in 37. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, there are a couple uh, compare. Like he compares Michael Moore to like Lenny Riefenstahl, I think, at one point. Yeah. Where he says like, or there, and there's actually some sequences from Lenny Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will. Oh, of course. Which it would great. not be complete without. Because they're talking or, about how like this is one of the greatest propaganda films ever made or and, and, and then, you know who and, else makes yeah. propaganda michael moore yeah. mike dropped yeah. <laughs> i mean the movie is just very badly structured i would yeah. say even like we've gone after michael moore for not having a good structure in his films but this one like yeah. this is just a, a soup i mean the production values are comparable you mentioned loose change i mean yeah it I reminded mean, me of that yeah. it really does feel like that just in terms of like edited it on a MacBook Pro by amateurs. Yeah, and it also has the same tone of loose change as in this kind of like, you know, we're just a bunch of like regular common sense people and we sat down and we and we like we picked this thing apart and we're gonna we're gonna show you the real like you know the real deets. Uh, I would say that most of the uh, kind of factual issues that Fahrenheit 9/11 takes on Fahrenheit 9/11 about um, it's. I know. I'm just gonna say probably correct about. I mean, it's sort of, or or at least they uh, they're sort of dismantling of a lot of Michael Moore's conspiracy theories. Um, they're, they're, they're I just, mean, his conspiracy theories, Moore's conspiracy theories, were not particularly convincing to begin no, with. No, no. And uh, I think this movie, you know, but I mean, it's low hanging fruit. I mean, it's yeah. like stuff like the fact that. Um, you know, the Taliban visiting Texas while George Bush is governor doesn't necessarily mean that George Bush was in cahoots with the Taliban. Right. They were a state visit yeah. under President a federal, Clinton. A federal, a federally organized yeah. state visit, yeah. Um, and by the way, that gets to kind of one of the movie's main agendas, uh, which is, I'm sure anyone alive in 2004 will remember this, the uh, Bill Clinton was responsible for 9-11 meme. The best shot we had to get him was in 1999 when we had hard intelligence, uh, not just rumors, but hard intelligence, that he was going to be in Kandahar, Afghanistan for five days and five nights. Clinton pulled the plug, or Berger pulled the plug on the airstrike. The methods that the people who criticize President Bush are recommending, those methods were given a 10-year trial, and they failed. They led the country to the most dismal, horrific disaster since Pearl Harbor. Running throughout this film, there's a, a another current that's not just about attacking Michael Moore, it's about, and I guess this is like something that was very 
particular to 2004, where the kind of mood of the country was so, it was so about uniting around the president and, uh, well, trying to eliminate the idea of any kind of viable political opposition to what was going on. And so it's like, there's there's this current running through the film that's all about like attacking the Democrats and being like, this war had been going on for eight years, like, and, and Clinton just ignored it, you know, and sure, all Sure, we had an attack on the World Trade Center mm-hmm. and what did Clinton do? Nothing. Yeah, and so there's all this stuff about how, you know, Clinton, because he was this like, you know, bleeding heart liberal civil libertarian, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't put, you know, he didn't have his own Patriot Act or whatever. And George Bush, you know, he was a man of action. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I mean, it, it was a very popular um, argument mm-hmm. kind of throughout the Bush presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you even say about it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It uh, speaks for itself. The, I mean, I think the challenge of this conversation is that the film that this film is critiquing is kind of so dumb to begin with. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, what are you, what are you supposed to, what are you supposed to say? I mean, I think that uh, this film is like, the thing that I enjoyed most about it was not the... Um, because like I think only really about half the film, maybe sixty percent of it, is kind of actual deconstruction of scenes from Fahrenheit 9/11. Like the rest of it is just kind of this. Like, there's these endless scenes of like these former U.S. service people Ugh. just being like, "Why do people criticize the troops when all they do is sign up because they want to defend their country? They're patriots. People like Michael Moore, they're helping the terrorists." Like. And just, also, we we defend Michael Moore's freedom yeah. to make movies like this. It's just so endless. so, huh? Endless stuff like that. Stuff that really, if you kind of took it to its logical conclusion, it's just like all dissent is treasonous, basically. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I found that, I mean, the, the film really hits you over the head with it. I mean, right right up to the ending where, I mean, there's this kind of swelling music and, and there's a guy kind of wistfully looking out okay, at the Statue of Liberty. That was and, uh, Dick Morris, yeah. uh, who he's, a, he's across the river in Brooklyn and he's pointing to the financial district and he's saying, right there, that's... That's the symbol for loss. And he points to where the World Trade Center was. But that, and he points to the Statue of Liberty, that's the symbol of hope. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's treacly bullshit. It's it's terrible. And, I mean, uh, you know, w- one of the things that I think is really funny to me about this kind of chest-beating conservative um, nationalism is how much of it seems to depend ultimately on, like, this treacly sentimentality. It's just these really sentimental appeals to this nebulous collectivity called America and to these bits of nationalist iconography like the Constitution and the Statue of Liberty. Mm. I, I guess it's just totally unconvincing unless you kind of feel it yourself and it looks like absurd. Mm-hmm. The movie interviews uh, a couple of people who found their way into Fahrenheit 9-11. Uh, one of them, uh, a memorable scene from Fahrenheit 9-11, this uh, young soldier who... Uh, both of his arms were were amputated. Uh, he was interviewed by Brian Williams on the news, talking about, "Oh, I, I I can't feel my arms. It feels like feels like they're being crushed now." And then we see an, a torturously long interview scene. Oh, it goes on forever. Just just an utterly painful scene of uh, talking about how how awful it was that this footage can just be used in Michael Moore's films and how is this even possible and I I support the war and uh, what happened to my rights? How, how can I end up? in a film out of context like this. And, you know, he just goes on and on and on. And then it gets actually pretty sad at the end when he says something like, I don't support Michael Moore in any way. My brother, he died in the war. And right. I don't want to think he died for no cause. Yeah. Uh, 
Which is just such a depressing thing to hear. Yeah. It's very sad. I don't know. Like, the film makes a number of complaints, ethical complaints, about Michael Moore. I think a few of which seem to hold up. This one does not. This was a guy who was interviewed on national TV and Michael Moore used the footage Mm -hmm. legally in in a documentary. I mean, that's just, you know. Yeah. Like, that. there's nothing unethical about that. It's maybe an interesting point that the guy disagrees with the way it's presented but i mean it's not but he, really we also don't see him in fahrenheit 9-11 saying that he hates the war no all we see him in the movie is just saying that yeah my arms hurt it was it was really taken out of context if i was to make a nazi propaganda film and uh put michael moore's image in there and and you know take some of his uh words and twist them around and make it uh, to present my point of view i don't think he would like that uh too much unless of course he's a nazi i felt like i you know been violated in some way you know uh, my rights have been violated i don't see how someone can just put someone's image up in any way they want to on in a film without asking the guy without consent i'm very proud of my service in iraq you know I'm- similarly we hear from the teacher who was in the classroom that george bush was reading to kids and when the uh you know planes were hitting the towers mm-hmm. and you know again you know she just appears in the film you know very briefly because you know she's in the footage i mean it's not unethical to and she she defends george bush saying that uh well it's uh it's understandable that he stayed there for six minutes i would rather have a president who gathered his thoughts Mm -hmm. and uh and just thought about the situation for a little bit instead of panicking she's there as an authority in her capacity as an authority on that those few minutes because of course michael moore like makes light of the fact that george bush sat there reading the Mm -hmm. and she tells us that no actually he was not reading uh my pet goat upside down thank you very much libtards (laughs) um i mean yeah the other guy whose complaint i think holds up i mean i you know hers doesn't but um is the guy who's like an oregon state trooper who's featured in the ridiculous uh bit of fahrenheit 9-11 where Moore is, you know, having argued that the terror threat is exaggerated, it's just to scare people, then complains that the Oregon coast is defended only by a single state trooper. Mm-hmm. Now, the guy is interviewing it, and it looks like, you know, Moore sent somebody to interview him, and, uh, you know, basically they were like, oh, yeah, we're making, like, a small documentary about how, like, you know, cuts to funding have affected, you know. I think that's unethical. I mean, if, if his story about yeah. about how, you know... You know, he was told that he'd be in a documentary under false pretenses. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's I think there's something off about that. Sure. Is it unethical if a Borat goes to those frat boys and says that we're we're making a documentary and this guy's actually from Kazakhstan? Uh, yes. Yes. But it's very funny. Okay. So I don't care. Okay. Good. I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, another one of my favorite characters from this film is the. Um, democratic senator from georgia oh my god uh, who who is an elderly man who we see um in his uh in his yard something it seems. like that he, he, he it appears that he lives in the wilderness he voted for the war needless to say yeah. and uh, he tells this wonderful metaphor about well i was uh, i was <laughs> in my backyard cleaning some brush <laughs> and i see a big snake and this snake could be deadly 
And of course, I don't go talk to my wife. I don't. Go, I don't talk to some bureaucrat. I don't talk yeah. to the to the city council. I I got my shotgun and I shot that <laughs> snake because I think he took his head off with a hoe. Actually, oh, okay. Excuse Stop me. Stop misrepresenting. Excuse well. me. They should make a Fahrenheit nine eleven about me. <laughs> uh, Fahrenheit <laughs> Michael and us. Yeah. And that's exactly what you. I guess you could call that preemptive <laughs> warfare. Yeah. But that's exactly what we did in Iraq and. You know, I, I guess it's pointless to say that's not what they did in Iraq. No, no. I think that there are too many American politicians today, particularly in my party, who are sort of these uh, long in the tooth 60 liberals who see everything as if it were defined by the Vietnam War. Well, the Vietnam War is just one of the lessons of history. There are a lot of lessons of history. There are the ovens of Auschwitz, there's Pearl Harbor, there's those skies over Berlin, there's uh, Iwo Jima, and those mountain ridges in Korea, and uh, those mass graves in the Iraqi desert, and uh, there's also those halls of the Pentagon and that grassy ridge in Pennsylvania. Um, but I think you'll you'll find that um, history has judged the Iraq War pretty well. I mean, <laughs> we, we were I, again the movie in in its last third tries to take pains to um, it doesn't really get into the whole weapons of mass destruction thing, but we do see um, Dick Morris talking to Ed Koch and say, so even knowing what we know now that there aren't weapons of mass destruction, would you would you still have supported the war? And Ed Koch says, well, absolutely. Uh, it was a humanitarian crisis, and we had to do something about it. And we're bringing freedom to these people, mm -hmm. which uh, is a line that they still use. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, some of them have shifted off that because, of course, like we talked about David Frum on, on the last podcast because he had that stupid tweet where he's basically <laughs> blaming, blaming. He's like, we gave them a chance for freedom, but of course, you know. Yeah. They're like because of ancient tribal yeah, disputes. Their, their their skulls were too thick, or whatever. whatever. <laughs> so you know, I feel like oh, I, yeah. I made another note of something yeah. else that I thought was really yeah. funny in this movie. Yeah. Um, do you remember the scene where I think one of the least effective um, attacks they made on Michael Moore was <laughs> that a student group from oh my God. from some godless university somewhere. <laughs> they, they they just say a student group uh, which had ties to Hezbollah, and then they don't say anything beyond that. Got in touch with uh, the the distributor and yeah. said that they they supported the film, and I guess maybe wanted to do a screening on mm. campus. So re thus revealing the ties between Michael right. Moore and Hezbollah. Right. You don't support a group <laughs> with ties to Hezbollah. You don't get embedded with Hezbollah. So what's amazing about this is this is exactly the kind of like tenuous like guilt by association thing mm. that they're accusing more of doing mm. in his film and of course they use it we we haven't talked about like besides the like people whose names we actually know there are like three <laughs> or four other people that are just these kind of unspecified like experts like there's this guy who's who's sitting in a room and all you see is behind him there's like a window with some blinds and then there's a diploma that's sitting on the window. The diploma is leaning up against the window as you would put a diploma. Great place for a diploma. Clear, uh, clearly. Not was, artificial place Clearly it was all. on the wall and he was like, 
excuse me, I know something that would make your seed even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And by the way, that's how he he delivers all of his, oh, his stupid platitudes about the war yeah. in this very authoritarian voice. What people like Michael Moore don't understand is yeah. that the war was about freedom. <laughs> yeah, he kind of sounds like a, he could voice like a South Park character or something. It's hilarious. I, one thing that I think is interesting about this movie and all of these um, anti-Michael Moore films is just how angry Michael Moore made the right at the time. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, there was an election going on, Mm -hmm. uh, which generally has pretty high stakes. Yeah. And yet, like, Michael Moore was public enemy number one. I think the right hated Michael Moore more than they hated John Kerry. Yeah. Why? I mean, in retrospect, Michael Moore seems pretty... I think I can answer this question. So I think that, you know... John Kerry and kind of the liberal establishment basically was behind the Iraq war. They supported everything George Bush did after 9-11, including like voting for the Patriot Act and things. Most of them, you know, unless we're talking about Bernie Sanders, but, you know, um, most has of them, been <laughs> has been but most, you know, like most of, you know, much of Congress, much of the Senate, you support these things. And, and like even when the criticism was leveled, I mean, during you know, during the 2004 election, Kerry was basically criticizing, like, Bush's handling of the war. And he was saying, that you know, I feel like they they ventured such kind of mortal criticism, such as, like, the rhetoric you're using is too divisive. And so it makes it we can't so effectively cobble together an international coalition to, mm-hmm. you know, to do the same thing. Michael Moore was an exception for all his many, 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 many faults, which we've been spending the last, like, 10 or so weeks documenting. He was somebody who was willing to just to to attack the president and to and to call him incompetent, to call him dishonest, to call him a warmonger, mm-hmm. you know, to um, impugn his motives and his family connections and everything. And I think because, like I was saying before, that this whole kind of conservative worldview that we see in this movie depends on this treacly sentimentality and and it requires being totally uncritical and totally reverent for like three or four things Mm -hmm. and one of them uh is the office of of the president provided it's a republican president and the idea that america is in the right exactly one of the talking heads you know weaves a conspiracy theory not unlike moore's about france saying that well you know if they had lifted if the U.S. had lifted the sanctions on Iraq, then France would have been able to do oil drilling in Iraq. Well, they did lift the sanctions, so then basically they're, he's saying that's why France didn't support the war. Oh, sorry, I yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not too versed in uh, <laughs> in, in uh, conspiratorial geopolitics. <laughs> yeah, uh, good grief. Um, um, so every other country has you know shifty motives. Right. Uh, the United States is virtuous, whereas I feel like in the kind of the inverse caricature that you might hear from like, well, I mean, what you see in Michael Moore's films is, is kind of a world where other countries are like, I mean, we're going to get to where to invade next as our, in our last show. Oh, I mean, that's me. a film that portrays like the United States, like is just this hellscape. And uh, whereas other countries are just these like peaceful paradises where like, you know, cops are hugging protesters and, you know, mass murderers are, are staying in five-star hotels and, <laughs> and that's a good thing. And, like, all these, you know, uh, I don't know. I think that about wraps it up for this movie. Yeah. Uh, so what are we going to do next, Will? Uh, next, uh, well, you know, maybe by the next episode I'll have seen the new Ghostbusters. So I'll, get, I'll, <laughs> oh I'll tell you all God. about it. I, I actually kind of want to see it. I can't believe we spent, like, you know, I mean, so we've done like 35 minutes. We spent like the first 10 minutes talking about Ghostbusters. So like a third of this 
is just the Ghostbusters podcast. I, I fully expect Ghostbusters will have several chuckles and uh, yeah. will keep me entertained for 75 minutes or however long it is. Yeah. Um, and the Fallout Boy song, I just can't wait to like get up in my seat and oh, dance to it. Great. Next week, though, our official movie um, is a little film that we've both seen called Michael Moore Hates America, which is the kinder, gentler Fahrenheit mm-hmm. 9-11. This is a movie that when it came out got two thumbs up from Ebert and Roper. Who were high on crack? I yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it features a wonderful uh, extended appearance from uh, Pendulette, truly the Marilyn Manson of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and it's got a series of uh, what are called interviews with people that the filmmaker ambushed while they were on the way to, way to way to a meeting or something on, on Capitol Hill. There, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to spoil too much yeah. from the next week, but uh, there is a thirty second appearance by Dinesh D'Souza. Oh my god! And we may or may not be doing a Dinesh D'Souza podcast. We at will some point because we you will. Know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, signing off. My name is Will Sloan. My name is Luke Savage. See you next time.